I want to welcome you to the Arrow Heights podcast, broadcasting live from Arrow Heights Baptist Church in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. My name is Ryan Smith. My name is Nathan Copeland. And I'm Josh White, and I'm full of tacos. Mm. Actually, I had a burrito for lunch. I'm full of tacos and life. Tacos and life. We went to a place called Tacos for Life for lunch. Mm. We're hosted by the owner, which is pretty awesome. We mm. feel like feel kind of like special, like important. Absolutely. We got a reserved room. We did. In the back. Yeah. yeah. Got to meet with the owner. Wow. Yeah. 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 And we're all drinking from cool orange cups right now. That's mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Tacos for Life. A, a wonderful uh, restaurant, not just because of uh, what it stands for and what it works for, but really excellent food, which I highly appreciate. You know, Amen. Who, <laughs> who, who care for their craft, but also with every taco sold, they uh, send a meal to a, a starving child through an organization uh, that they have set up and established and, and worked with. So it was great to learn more about what they do and how we as a church family can help partner with them. Yeah, yeah, we're kind of looking forward to potentially doing an event towards the end of the year to do that, but uh, we're still on the very... Very front end of that. Not even sure if we're going to do it yet, but we are. Uh, having we those will calls. have more tacos. We will have more tacos. And Dave Poston over there, he's a great dude. Uh, mm-hmm. Go support him, support him and his family. It's a great cause yeah. and uh, really, really good tacos. So recommend the mahi mahi taco. Indeed. Yeah, chips and queso, man. That was good. It was good. I hope my wife's not listening to this because she's going to be mad I didn't take her. But that's okay. Uh, we'll move on. There's always dinner. That's right. There's always there dinner. Yeah, I think we're having burgers. Yeah. Now you have hmm. tacos That's for right. life. That's right. Around the world. Sweet. Hey, we got questions today, which is great. They all came in uh, late last night, early this morning, uh, and some good questions. The first one comes from Mark 14, uh, verses 12 through 26. I won't read all of that, uh, but this is a section that speaks of Judas uh, betraying Christ. Uh, and uh, you know, the question says, Judas' betrayal led him to commit suicide. Did Jude, did Judas go to hell based on his betrayal or based on suicide? Do true Christians commit suicide? Does suicide lead to hell? Now, this obviously this question can come with uh, a lot of mo- emotion wrapped into it, uh, wrapped up into it, and so uh, we want to handle this one carefully. Uh, but we do feel we've got some answers. So um, let's let's go. Yeah, I believe there's a, a Catholic doctrine. Is there not? that uh, if one commits suicide, that is a final act of, a final sinful act of murder, and therefore the person cannot uh, be, be be saved. Mortal mortal sin, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what, what I want to do is say, um, first of all, Judas did not go to hell for his betrayal, nor his suicide. Uh, Judas uh, went to hell because of his sin nature that he refused to hand over and, and surrender to Jesus the Christ for his atoning as his atoning payment. Uh, we are Judas is in the exact same boat that I myself, that you fellows here, and that anyone who is listening uh, was in. We're dead in our sin apart from the saving grace of Christ. Now, out of that uh, state of selfishness and uh, deadness to spiritual things, he did uh, very wicked things, Um, and both of which were foretold in hundreds, if not thousands of years before he even existed. So, um, 
his betrayal of Christ did not change his status, uh, nor did suicide in in any way. Um, Speaking directly to the issue of suicide, uh, there are a lot of different factors that come into play when it comes to the topic of suicide. There are uh, mental health issues. Uh, Oftentimes, there are very difficult and dire uh, circumstances that people find themselves in, sometimes substance abuse issues as well. So there's a, a, a plethora of things to address in this conversation that we cannot get to completely individually. But what we would say is suicide is never good. Suicide is never God's desire for his people. Uh, Suicide uh, is a a giving up when there is still hope. Uh, And so if anyone is wrestling with these questions or with these issues, as we saw this past Sunday, a, uh, a young man who was on the verge of taking his life, who now is receiving help, has surrendered to Christ, was baptized, and has a whole new life in front of him uh, because of what Jesus Christ has done on his behalf. Uh, so there, there's always help. There's always hope. Um, suicide is not a greater or final sin Uh, outside the scope and breadth of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Uh, So, um, no, it is not something that sends you to hell. It's not something that sent Judas to hell, Um, but Judas was acting out of uh, his his sin nature. Well said. I totally agree. And sometimes people will say, well, is it possible for a true believer to get so depressed, so down that they would contemplate suicide. And I think the answer from the Bible is, yeah. Mm -hmm. If you look at Job, for example, he says things like that. Why did I not die at birth? Uh, Kind of thing. Jonah, at the end of the book of Jonah, says it is better for me to die than to live. Um, So yeah, those are some of God's choicest people. David in the the Psalms oftentimes. David in the Psalms. Even Elijah, the great prophet of the Old Testament, said similar things. So yeah, it's a... It's a. It's definitely a place that true believers who are used of the Lord uh, can can get to a a dark, low place uh, because of uh, just the oppression of sin and darkness all around us, uh, and we can despair and lose hope. Certainly, um, you know the question kind of is um, you know the, the the question the Roman Catholics sort of raise is what's up with you know, sins that we don't confess before we die. I, to me, I think common sense just tells us most of us, nope, most of us will die with some sins unconfessed. Um, you know, we die in accidents, uh, we die, you know, suddenly of some medical, you know, crisis or something, and we don't have time to think, now wait a minute, I need to really confess all these sins. That's not what First uh, John, for example, is talking about whenever it says in First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins. Because when it says confess, that's not a one-time event. Because in the context there, he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, right? So if you, even if you had a chance to confess all your sins, there are sins in the heart right now we don't even discern, we don't even know about, right? So the, the real question is not whether you have opportunity to confess every single sin before you pass into eternity. The question is, 
is your heart conf- confessing sin? Do you, is that the trajectory of your life? Is that the pattern of your life that you confess daily uh, your your need for Christ and your need for His forgiveness? So the Roman Catholic doctrine, I think, is just it's tied to a whole kind of penitential system that is just unbiblical, and we don't want to go there. Um, one other thing I'll just say is this is also connected to the issue of kind of the the unpardonable sin, the unforgivable sin, which you know Jesus talks about in Mark 3, um, 28 and 29. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemes they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. And then, and then Mark says, for they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. So the unpardonable sin is, is a question I've gotten over and over again. In, in ministry, and I found help in a very old book by Louis Burkhoff. It's a book that's was probably written in the 20s or 30s or something. But he says, um, the unpardonable sin is nothing less than an audacious declaration that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of the abyss, that the truth is the lie, that Christ is Satan. Huh. Right? And, and I think it's important to say, no one commits that sin out of just ignorance, you know? Like, oops, I didn't know I committed that sin, right? <laughs> uh, people commit that sin, th- th- they're convinced that Jesus is the way to life, but they just harden themselves to the work of the Spirit to the point of just totally contradicting and rejecting uh, the claims of the gospel. And, um, you know, that's, um, it's it's not like um, that's the um, sort of like sin that's so powerful that Christ can't overcome or forgive. It's just that God has set up the world in such a way that that particular sin excludes repentance by its very nature, right? Um, so anyway, yeah, anyone who is willing to repent has not committed that sin. I, I think I think that's the way to, to understand that. So anyway, there's just a lot there, and it's a question that comes up, I, I think, fairly regularly in, in, in Christians' minds dealing with this extremely dark sin of suicide. And I think it's important to note where Judas's grief took him. Like, like he was grieving the acts that he had done. Like he was obviously uh, convicted in some for- form or fashion or felt guilty um, by it. Uh, and, and we haven't gotten there yet, and so we don't want to preempt uh, the conversation about Peter. Uh, but we have talked about Peter, uh, Jesus for telling Peter, Peter's denial uh, and seeing that contrast between Judas and the way that he handled his grief yeah. uh, and, and Peter and the way that he handled his grief, two completely opposite, like polar ends of the spectrum as, as it comes when it comes to outcome, uh, but two totally different, <laughs> like like ways of handling the grief that they were walking through. And so uh, I, th- I think the, the important thing to note is like if you are a Christ follower, let, let your grief, let your, your frustration and anxiety press you more into Christ as opposed to pushing you away from Christ. I think that is a huge difference uh, that marks somebody who is, is holding on to hope um, and, and what Christ can do for them. So Paul says there's a sorrow that leads to repentance. Yeah. Right? So it's not enough just to kind of feel like sorry for sin, although that's a great thing and a great place to start, but that sorrow needs to lead you to steps of repentance in your heart and then, you know, in life. Yeah. Amen. Awesome. Uh, okay. So this is just uh, one that they threw out on the text. Uh, do we have any thoughts on the Alistair Begg fiasco? 
What is the Alistair Begg fiasco, Josh? Fiasco. Well, you're going to ask me to rehash it. <laughs> so Alistair Begg said something. Uh, Who is Alistair Begg? So he's a, he's a pastor in... Cleveland? Is it, is it Cleveland? Yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's got an accent. Yes. He's a great accent. He's a great he's a Scot- accent. Scottish? He's a Scottish preacher. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Very and, faithful uh, expositor. Of the word, yeah, for and, decades, yeah, decades, and has important. been involved in many of the circles that we would feel are beneficial. Uh, definitely good conversations, and I think we've benefited from uh, him as well. But he said something. Was it in a sermon or a? Was he just counseling someone? Email? I can't. Remember. Was it a Q and A? I haven't heard this it. Is, we, so, we should have been. So way maybe more we shouldn't answer this, this question. question. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it was some form of Q and A, whether that was verbal, written, podcast, or otherwise. Okay. So, so you haven't heard it. You haven't heard it. I've not heard it. No, I haven't heard it. Yep. What's uh, the fiasco about? So Al, Al Mohler did handle this on a podcast last week. In, in the briefing, he did speak okay. to it. Um, what? Uh, I agree with Al Mohler. Let's go with that. <laughs> start with that. <laughs> what a cop Next out. question. You're <laughs> quoting him in your sermon. You agree? Yeah. Uh, he he said something to the that that alluded to the fact that it, someone was asking if they should attend a a gay wedding. Uh, and it was a family member, I believe, of the person that was asking it. Uh, and he counseled them that in order to maintain mm. the relationship, in order to uh, keep them close and to show them grace, that they would be okay to attend uh, this person's wedding. I'm struggling to not say funeral for some reason, mm-hmm. but uh, attend this person's wedding. Now, mm-hmm. uh, people uh, just jumped on him. Uh, and even to the point that they're uh, comparing him side by side with Andy Stanley saying, Alistair Begg and Andy Stanley on this same issue, they share share a commonality. Mm. And I'm like, okay, that might be a stretch. Mm. Um, uh, and I can appreciate where Begg's coming from uh, and, and the, the impetus behind why someone would counsel someone that direction uh, because we don't want to. I mean, the hardest thing to do is whenever somebody comes out uh, as uh, lesbian or gay, um, you – you want to maintain that relationship, right? As a Christ follower, you don't want to, uh, you, you struggle to s- preach the truth and do it lovingly. Uh, and I can appreciate that he would counsel them to do this. I just don't think it's necessarily the right thing to do personally. So so let me let me jump in here. I, I haven't heard it, but um, to try to make a few distinctions. And if, if at any point you guys think I'm, I'm not following the, the story correctly, help me out here. But Number one, Alistair Begg would agree that the Bible teaches, and all Christians should affirm, that homosexuality is a sin, it is rebellion against God, and that it is not God's will for marriage. In fact, I think he would even say it's not marriage, mm-hmm. I think is what he would say. So, right. so he would agree with all kind of conservative, Bible-believing Christians on that. Yep. Then the question is, okay, so what does that mean for attending a gay wedding, but maybe more specifically attending a gay wedding, quote-unquote, right? Because we already said he doesn't think that this is actually a marriage because God defines marriage um, as between one man and one woman. Um, But how do we think about that, especially when it relates to one of our own family members, okay? And then there's a further question because I know he's been sort of canceled by the radio uh, broadcasters that – you know, uh, broadcast his sermons all over the country, right? Um, there's a question of how do we, how should we think of of that? Can we can we benefit from his sermons if we disagree with him on this particular issue? 
Uh, you know, does the does the radio people do they have the right to do that? Uh, just based on this one issue where he agrees with them on so many things, is that kind of the kind of several questions within this question? Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there are <laughs> several questions within the question. I I don't agree with Alistair Begg. I have been asked this question dozens upon dozens of times. Yeah. This um, is an old question in some ways. Yeah, yeah. 2015 was when this question was really hot. Yeah. 10 yeah. years ago. Yeah. Just, just to bring some clarity, uh, I just Googled like what exactly was said. And so it was on his podcast. He says he uh, this is from Christian Post. Uh, says he came under fire for comments made on his podcast last September, during which he responded to a grandmother whose grandchild was, was preparing to be wedded to a transgender person. So it's transgender. Uh, he said that the grandma could attend and bring a gift so long as it was made clear she isn't in agreement biblically with the marriage. Hmm. Yeah, I... I always encourage people to, as best as possible, uh, have clear communication in circumstances like this so that it is not the perceived actions that do or do not uh, establish what the person may or may not be saying. You know, the, the gospel clarity is spoken into the situation. Um, and I think it sounds like that's what Alish Debeck is also uh, asserting. Uh, I, th- in my opinion, uh, and I don't, mm, well, in 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 my opinion, that is best expressed by uh, by abstaining from the situation uh, because it shows a consistency of character. Uh, but I I I know. S- Many people who would agree or disagree or fall on a wide uh, spectrum of thoughts on this specific detail. This is, in my mind, not a first-tier issue uh, and is not even reflective of belief, per se. It's uh, a matter of application of said belief, Mm -hmm. uh, which can be difficult. Yeah, yeah. No, it is difficult. I've only I read one article about this, and it had to do with the radio uh, people that kind of canceled him. And their their argument basically was that going to a Christian, sorry, a Christian going to a a homosexual wedding is approval of it. And so there's a contradiction in their minds between what Alistair Begg has preached and then this advice he is giving. In, in application, as you say. Um, and so I, I agree with the radio people at that point. To me, that seems to be a, a very difficult uh, sort of tension to hold, to say on the one hand, this is not marriage. This is dishonoring to the Lord. This is an act of rebellion against God. Uh, but then, yeah, we, we can go ahead and, and, and go, not to celebrate it, not to affirm it, but just to be there. Well, I think being there, I mean, it's a wedding celebration, you know, um, it, it's it's maybe different. Uh, I'm not sure to go to um, you know d- a dinner in, in honor of these people or to go to dinner with these people who are getting married, something like that. But a, a wedding celebration, I think your attendance is is approval on some level. See, I, I think I agree with the critics of Beg on that score. 
I, I would say, you know, these things tend to, you know, the, the question you're called a fiasco, and I think that's probably true. And I think it's it's very easy to all of a sudden sort of paint people as as um, paint them in ways that are not flattering. Alistair Begg is a guy who I think um, you know we can all agree has been a faithful Bible preacher for a long time. I, I've benefited from his ministry for, for for many years in Louisville because he would come on the radio at a time when I was in the car and uh, would listen and think, "Golly, man, this guy is really." Just fe- feeding my soul and, and nourishing my spiritual life. Um, so you can't just kind of toss all of that. I'm not saying that's what the radio folks are doing at the, the AFA AFR people, but I can see how very easily this is what that could turn into. And we really want to kind of shrink back from that. Even saying, "Yeah, Alistair Begg and Andy Stanley, they're in the same camp here. They're not in the same camp mm, right. here. Okay, not at, all. not at all. So I think we need to be careful with that." Um, and I think I think it's an opportunity in some ways uh, to think through how we should treat those that we disagree with, because we're going to have disagreements. And uh, I just I just read a, a chapter in a book by David Wells. It was really helpful to me talking about evangelicalism and fundamentalism, uh, and just kind of the historical development of that. And in many ways, the questions that Christians who believe the Bible, and want to reach the lost, the questions that have been wrestled with really for decades now, we're still wrestling with them. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that Alistair Begg, in giving that advice, was saying to this grandmother, you want to reach out to your your, your grandson. You you want to be available to, to him uh, in order to, to win him to Christ, to persuade him. And that's the danger of, quote, evangelicalism, that in trying to, in some sense, speak the, the language of the culture in ways that they can sort of, uh, that we can kind of connect them to the gospel. There's a danger that we become like the culture. On the other hand, in fundamentalist circles, where we kind of circle the wagons and say, no, we hold on to the truth and, and we're scared of you know worldliness creeping in, the danger there is that we don't reach out in ways that are effective and persuasive, right? And people say, well, the Bible is itself persuasive. We just put the word out there. Well, that's true. But when you read the Bible itself, <laughs> you know, you see, you know, the Gospel of John uh using terminology that would have been uh appealing and understandable with the logos, you know, to these Greek philosophers. You see Paul in 1 Corinthians talking about Jews, uh, you know, seek power and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ. In other words, Christ is the better story. Your your desires are going to be fulfilled in him in a surprising, uh, kind of subversive way. Um, he's doing that on a, in Acts 17 at Mars Hill, uh, talking about the unknown God and explaining to them almost kind of f- from their angle who, who this unknown God is. It's Jesus Christ who's been raised from the dead. And of course, then they want to kick him out because they're like, that's crazy. So you have to get to just the, the gospel, which will be offensive to worldly ears. Um, but the danger in the fundamentalist thing is we just don't reach out. So it's it's a, there's a tension in in the Christian life and in Christian discussions, and in some ways a, a tension that that is present in the Bible itself that we have to sort of hold uh, in in tension in ways that lead us to reach out while not giving up God's revealed truth. So it's just a tough thing, and, and I, I hate that it's a you know, fiasco yeah. uh, for a guy like that who's, 
I think, a, a very faithful guy in so many ways who seemingly made a misstep here, mm-hmm. as far as I can tell. Yeah. Well, and to, to me, I disagree with the critics in the way that they, they say, okay, well, Alistair Begg said that this grandmother should go to the wedding. Going to the wedding communicates approval. Therefore, Alistair Begg is saying this grandmother should approve of the of the wedding. Yeah. That's not what Alistair Begg was saying. Alistair Begg said two things, one of which was go to the wedding, two, or the second of which was communicate disapproval. Mm-hmm. So the critics are not painting what Alistair Begg said fairly. Mm. Now, the... The murkiness lies in Alistair Begg's court. That's his fault. He put up two diametrically opposed ideas and tried to, for lack of a better term, marry them. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, yeah, uh, uh, which he should not have done. Mm. And I think he probably would regret. But now, Mm. but I think in being pushed back on, he was saying, no, I don't want to drop both of these that I have wedded together because one of them is very, very true, you know, and therefore I've connected. So that that was the misstep. I don't think we serve anybody well by mischaracterizing something that they said and then making further missteps right. uh, down the road. You know, I, I, I think how many times would Jesus have been canceled? Yeah, right, yeah. You know, after yeah. the woman at the well, the prostitute cried out, cried out his feet, he touched the leper. Mm-hmm. He, you know, we've been through all of that in Mark, so many things. They say, you can't go there. Mm-hmm. You can't do that, Jesus. Uh, but he did. And I'm not equating this. I'm not saying Jesus would go to a uh, a transgender wedding. I don't think that he would. Uh, but man, we've got to put our guns down a lot of times because we we're not truly looking at enemies. This is one thing I've said, and this is so hard to do. But to to really disagree well with someone, you need to be able to present their position mm-hmm. in a way that they would say, "Yes, that is my position." And until you can do that, you're just sort of batting down straw men that mm-hmm. don't really exist. And so often, I mean, we live in this soundbite, quick blog post, Twitter kind of age where it's really difficult to be very clear and very sort of uh, fair, as you're saying, with how people present themselves. Because once you present it fairly like that, you go, okay, well, he does have a point. I still disagree. Mm-hmm. But it, it immediately puts you in a position of having to see where he's coming from, and present his best argument, we're just not very good at doing that. I think one encouraging thing that can come from this, and, and any time that there is pushback over something that a celebrity or somebody says, is it causes us to think. Uh, and so, like, how many people have been, uh, have encountered this issue and thought, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have even thought it was a deal at all. And, and they started considering the word and considering conviction uh, and what they are communicating when they a- attend a wedding or, or of any sort. And, and one of the, I mean, you can, you can argue that we should have the same thoughtfulness uh, if you are uh, attending a wedding where people have lived together uh, mm-hmm. before or have been divorced before and they're getting either remarried to the same person or to a completely different person. Like we need to be asking good questions about the things that we're doing and make sure that convictionally we're, we're, pursuing uh, these issues uh, in a way that honors the Lord uh, to the best of our abilities. And so I think it's difficult to do a copy and paste. This issue, maybe not so much, uh, but I think it gets very, very vague and gray uh, the more uh, soft the issue is. Does that make sense? 
Well, and here's one more thing. Let's pray for Alistair Begg. You know, clearly a brother in the Lord who yeah. loves the gospel and has preached the gospel for a long time. And I'm sure he's, you know, sort of, um, I guess, hurting. Uh, I'm sure his ministry is sort of hurting. Uh, not that he, I'm, I'm sure his his concern is is for other things as well, but it's just, it's really sad to see in some ways a guy like that who, is, who has been uh, so helpful to so many for so long and now to just kind of be like, eh, canceled in some ways is, it's it's not it's not a good look for Christians, and it's just not good for Christians. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Pray for that, brother. Absolutely. Um, okay, last one. Mark fourteen twenty three and twenty four says this. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, "This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many." So the question is, when did the old covenant end and the new covenant begin? And this is a this is a like a uh, uh, multiple choice question. They give us some. I options. like I yeah. like multiple they, choice. They give us some it makes options. It much easier. It Thank does. Can we like, get some oh, true or false? Pick a no, <laughs> uh, which we don't. Uh, a is did it begin at the Last Supper? B at Jesus' death. C at Jesus' resurrection. D Jesus' ascension. E Holy Spirit sent at Pentecost. Or F other question mark question mark. Question mark. I just wanted to use the sound bite. So uh pause the podcast right now. Choose your choose your uh selection and text me. Do you do you have the do you have the uh Jeopardy music? Now this is uh this is where we're just gonna vamp for a second. This is seventies Jeopardy. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, looky there. Man came in. Showcase right. showdown. Text Josh your answer right now, and we'll wait. Okay, enough of that. I'm very concerned that we have that capability. <laughs> it's amazing. I need to get Jeopardy put on there. I don't know why I don't. Anyways. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when did the old covenant end and the new covenant begin? Luke 22, verse 20, says this. Likewise, the cup, after they had eaten... Uh, he took it and said, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So as I understand, I think the answer to the question is B, I think. Which is Jesus' death. I think. So the Last Supper, which is A, is, as I understand, sort of the, the, the picture and the prediction of that sacrifice that is coming Jesus' death, that is the sacrifice that inaugurates the new covenant. It's the new covenant in his blood. The resurrection, option C, is sort of the vindication of, of his death, the, the, the confirmation that the, the sacrifice has been accepted, eternal life is offered, right? Forgiveness of sins is complete, right? Then the ascension and the Holy Spirit, those, as I understand, are more like gifts purchased by the blood of Christ. All of the gifts of the new covenant that we enjoy, including the forgiveness of sins, including the, the unity we have with other believers, including the, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, uh, Christ's reign in heaven, uh, You know, because Hebrews talks about how he, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. He reigns from heaven. He sat down, not because he's tired, but because the work is finished. And as our great high priest, he, he mediates for us. He, he um, intercedes for us, right? All of those are gifts that were purchased by his blood. 
at great cost, right? Infinite cost, but free to us because of what he did on the cross. So I think the answer is B, Jesus' death. Any other thoughts? Yeah, the book of Hebrews is all all about this. Yeah. And uh, Hebrews 9 speaks specifically to uh, kind of the mirror images of, of the, the blood of the covenant. But I think there's a helpful, helpful verse here in Hebrews 13, 20. Says, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, so there's resurrection, ascension, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant. So here, the eternal covenant that Christ instituted is identified with blood, with the shedding, with, which is really the signifier of a death. Mm. And that's what it was in the Old Testament, in, in, in a way. Uh, it was the sacrificial death because the, the blood, the life, means something. Uh, there's an accounting for it and of it. And therefore, I think just just like you said, the Lord's Supper, he's pointing forward to his blood being shed. Uh, his ascension, his resurrection is the vindication of it's God the Father's saying this uh, covenant is enacted um, and this sacrifice was worthy. And the coming of the Holy Spirit is the the gift, the affirmation, the ongoing, the inaction, perhaps. Of the of the covenant into perpetuity, um, but the covenant happened or was sealed when Christ died. To to use a really well, you'll appreciate this. Let's go Narnia. <laughs> sure, let's do it. <laughs> as then Aslan the lion, you know, had to be killed in place of of someone else. Now, it wasn't the fact that Aslan came back to life. It was him on the stone table. That was what uh, what brought what brought the, the new mm-hmm. Narnian deeper magic to mm-hmm. life, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. So not, not that you want to go to the Chronicles of Narnia in order to interpret the Scripture, but sometimes you can interpret the Scripture through mm-hmm. uh, other other stories in that way. I'll say you could do worse. Yes. I mean, you know. You could. You could. <laughs> uh, not to spoil the Chronicles of Narnia. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Like you spoiled way the to wing go. feather saga. Wing feathered. Man, Ruiner. Andrew Peterson has a cease and desist letter on his way <laughs> right here, right now. I really did. I, I, I usually get some very nice comments from, from different people. I've never had so many comments after a sermon, and they all were like, hey, dude, you really did ruin that. Or one person said, you, you really almost ruined that because we didn't know when to unclog our ears because it seemed like you kept talking about it, kept quoting from the book. So sorry about that, but it just yeah. was too good to, to pass up, I guess. Okay. But uh, Exodus 24, 8 I think confirms kind of what we've been so- we've been talking about. The the new covenant is inaugurated in the blood of the sacrificial lamb Jesus, who is that true lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In the same way, the old covenant uh, is there's a parallel there with the old covenant. Exodus twenty four eight Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, "Behold the blood of the covenant." that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So there it is again, the blood of the covenant. The the old covenant is inaugurated by blood. It's brought into being by blood. Same with the new covenant. Jesus is the fulfillment of that. Amen. Uh, Another spot in Hebrews uh, chapter 9, 
speaks to that effect. It says, when Christ appeared, this is 9 verses 11 through uh, eleven through 15, it says, when Jesus Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And then 15, I think, is the, the key. It says, therefore, he, Christ, is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first mm-hmm. covenant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the death the blood yeah the sacrifice this is this is i think maybe an important point theologically in how we read the bible and understand what the biblical authors are doing they're very cross-centered people um you, you can never get too far if if you if you get too far from the cross and start emphasizing some of the the benefits of the cross um you might think about you know adoption which is such a sweet biblical metaphor and so precious to believers that we're adopted into God's family. Well, how are we adopted into God's family? You can't disconnect that from the cross. The true son offered the payment so that we could be uh, cleansed and we can be brought in to the Father's holy presence by, by the work of another, right? But apart from the cross, the adoption just can't happen. The same with the fellowship that we enjoy, the same with eternal life. I mean, all these benefits that flow from the, the gospel, from the cross, you can't disconnect them from the cross. Uh, healing metaphors, things like that. Uh, I read an, uh, uh, an article a long time ago by one of my professors, Dr. Schreiner, where he talks about the different theories of the atonement. And he says, look, all these theories have some biblical validity to them. But he says, at the heart of it, is substitution, Christ for us, Christ in our place, Christ's death covering our sin, His righteousness covering our unrighteousness. Um, I think there's something similar there with with kind of the, the, the understanding of the gospel and all of the benefits we receive from Christ. The cross is where they all were purchased. That's at the heart of it. People say, man, the cross, that's kind of bloody and, and kind of gross and dark. Why is, why is that what the New Testament authors are, are always emphasizing, like you just read from Hebrews? And you could point to Romans and other places. It's because that's where all the benefits that we enjoy and should celebrate and should talk about and preach about, that's where they all were purchased. Good deal. Well, hey, great set of questions today. I want to thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Arrow Heights podcast, kindly sponsored by Tacos for Life. Actually, not really, but we do very much appreciate Tacos for Life. And you should go check them out. Uh, thanks for listening. If you need the number, the number is 918-280-9628. Shoot us a text uh, with your question or feedback. We'd love to hear it and talk about it on the podcast. We'll talk to you next week.